This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today. Another episode, another great guest for you. My guest, he's a mobile home park owner-operator. He's a podcaster. He's real big on team investing, mentorship, great resource for industry. I'm sure you've heard of him, but please help me welcome my guest, Ryan Neris. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Hey, thanks, man. Well, I think a lot of people probably know about you and know of you. Um, for those that don't, maybe give us a little bit more about your background. We can start from there, just how you got an MHP and and, and go from there, man. Yeah, I just bought the lie. <laughs> Plain and simple. I was a millennial, or I am a millennial. And I, when I was in my early 20s, I and really my whole life, I just bought the lie that us millennials get fed, which is, go to school, work really hard, go to a good college, work really hard there, get good grades, then you'll funnel out and have a great job. And then you'll work your way up the corporate ladder and then retire on a beach one day. And it turns out uh, the amount of stress that you're under as a high school student, it really, in my opinion, took away the fun that I probably could have had in the social skills and all sorts of stuff I could have been developing. So that was kind of a lie. Then I go to a good school. I went to Wake Forest University. It was a dream school. I went so I loved it so much. I went twice. I got my master's in business there, and that rattled me with a lot of student loan debt. And then I went from job to job to job, even before. So mostly before I went to MBA, and I found myself feeling underpaid, overworked, and and it, like everything was meaningless. Like this is totally this is dumb. Like there's no meaning or purpose behind what I do. So and then and then as you can assume then there was no beach right or retirement there was a, there was a trailer park right and so eventually i just you know i was sitting i remember this i was sitting with my hiring manager in one of my former jobs and he was telling me you know you get promoted to the finance you're a finance manager then a sales manager and then a general manager and then you're this and here's how it's going to go and you're not going to have any day off but sunday and you're not going to see your kids grow up except for on the weekends and all for maybe a couple hundred thousand bucks a year. And I was like, forget that, man. I want my name on the side of the building. That's the dude who rolls up in his Ferrari, celebrates when you do something great and then says, all right, get back to work. See ya. I was like, I want to be that guy. And so I just, I spent the better part of, see here, I, I, st- I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur in like 2011, 2012. And I found mobile, home- it took me three years to find mobile home parks in 2015. And Ian Tudor, my business partner and I, we put our heads together. We said, we're definitely starting a business. What is it going to be? One of the first ideas was mobile home parks. I said, I love it, but here's a problem. We're trying to buy commercial real estate and we're both in our twenties and have no money, no experience and no network. How the heck do we do this? And we said, well, guess what? We also have no excuses. So call it an advantage, call it a curse, call it whatever you want. Ian and I took about two years to go full-time and going full-time meant basically having no health insurance, no 401k, living in a double wide for 14 months. And then I moved into our, our next acquisition after that for another few months. So for about 18 months on and off living in a single or a double wide on a blow up mattress. 
And then when I finally did get home in full time in 2019, I was paying myself $35,000 a year. So it was really ugly. It was really messy. I had my life threatened. I've been sued. I've had to sue. It's been a roller coaster of a ride. And Ferd, it was so much fun. When I quit corporate America and went full time, I lost 15 pounds. And let me tell you something. It wasn't because I changed my diet. That was straight sad weight. Wow. By chasing my dreams. So um, yeah, that's, that's us in a nutshell. That's interesting, man. Well, I'm not sure if that's a inspirational story or a warning to, you know, this is going to be a, a long, a long slug, but I mean, that's, that's part of being an entrepreneur, right? Is to get the, there's the good days and there's the wrong, the long days and the hard days and the scary days. And as you build time, you know, and you build experience, like, you know, every once in a while you wake up and you're like, I think it's starting to come together. I, th- I think it's working. And then you start to feel it working. And then, then you get the next stress of, uh, Okay, now I'm hiring somebody. Now I'm hiring somebody new. Okay, how many, am I going too fast? Am I going too slow? Can I keep, you know, uh, been there, man. We've been there. A lot of those similar stories. I never did live in a double wide. Um, uh, I slept on air mattress before, but never, uh, never double wide. So you got me on, you got me on that one for sure. I, I lived in college. I did, I did single family first. So I was living college housing, building ba- bedrooms and attics and building bedrooms and basements and packing six guys in a house and uh, that was my house hack, uh, launching, launching point, if you will. But anyway, MHP is where I'm at now, man. It's a great place to yeah. be. Um, tell me what, tell me what your views are on the industry right now. I know we follow this all, all the time. All of us do, I think, but I mean, what are you seeing in the market? I know you're based out of the Southeast. Mm-hmm. I'm in the Midwest. Um, but I think it's pretty similar nationwide as far as what we're seeing with the current market, market dynamics from supply chain, from, uh, pricing, banking, et cetera. I'd be interested in your thoughts on that as we dive into more more topics here. I think that's a great question. And I think that in the six years, going on six years I've been in this space, I've seen a lot of major changes. And I think in the next five, we're going to see more than we ever have. So it's kind of like technology, right? Like as soon as the internet comes out within five years, everybody's completely different. You go from, wow, you've got mail. What a cute movie to everyone has an email address, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I think that as the mobile home park space ushers in new technology, like before we hit record, you and I were talking touchless pay. Uh, there are a lot of ways that mo- as mom and pops kind of get phased out of this industry, you're going to have a wave of entrepreneurs like you and I in this space. And then what I think is going to happen after that is it's going to consolidate and be basically private equity. And so in other words, where I think we are in this, this cycle of an already mature business, uh, I think what you have is the ushering out of, of mom and pops and the ushering in of entrepreneurs who are willing to do crazy things like quite literally house hack their way into building a 20 lot mobile home park portfolio with no money to start out. And I think I'm not the only one. There's tons of others folks I've met over the years that are willing to do some pretty bold things. And that's not mobile home park specific. I mean, you look at people starting internet companies in their parents' garages, it's no different. And to me, what that means is, is that people like you and I, we're going to come in, we're going to not scheme money off the top. <laughs> so we're going to have good records. We're going to pay our taxes. We are going to make it the highest and best use, that parcel. And then from there, we're going to get to what I consider the actual market for lot rents. 
So in other words, I, I'm, I have two wonderfully useless degrees in statistics, so we can talk statistics all day long, but I love reading like 538.com, the statisticians blog and, and webpage and the really fun th things with stat statistics beyond just analytics and like basketball and baseball is pricing. So, you know, the four P's of marketing pricing is one of them. You have to properly price. And the fun thing is they'll, they have these algorithms that are, are over a decade old uh, in some cases. And the newer ones are even cooler where they like will spot price ticket sales for baseball games. So like the San Francisco Giants had a huge article a bunch of years ago about how they had these huge algorithms where they're taking mountains of data. I'm talking like the weather, the pitchers, if they're injured or not, what's the extent of the injury? Did they just get back off the DL? Uh, who they're going against? What day of the week it is? Is it a night game? Is it What's the temperature? And they basically are using advanced statistics to optimize pricing. So in other words, the price is going to be higher right before the game. The price is going to be lower if you buy it three months in advance, uh, depending on if it's a playoff worthy game. It, it, like all of these factors in this giant computer getting a very, very precise price to literally optimize the price. And in our industry, we call Billy Bob's trailer park down the road and ask him what his lot rent is. And up, oh, I guess that's market. Is Billy Bob right? Maybe, <laughs> but that's certainly not a mountain of data in a computer, which is just going to be able to predict stuff. So there's a lack of research. Uh, Charles Becker of Duke University is probably the only one that I could find that's done extensive research. And even his, he admits is it's got a lot of love that it's got a lot omitted. And so what I think is people like you and I are going to come in and we're going to find what that right pricing is. And then you're going to hit a ceiling of what is the real market at? And then if you believe in a free market capitalistic society, then you know that eventually when you hit that ceiling, the only way you get through that is by having capital influx. And that's where you and I, Ferd, are going to say our goodbyes to the mobile home park space. <laughs> because we will no longer, like, we will no longer be the best capital for those those pro those properties because otherwise you're you're stuck you know like they say in, in batman a dark knight they uh harvey dent says you either live long you you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain and <laughs> i will i will use that quote in the mobile home park space you either you either basically graduate a hero and you sell off and you move on or you live long enough to become the mom and pop that we're buying from <laughs> that's funny. So that's kind of my take on the space. Well, God, I, I agree that we're getting more and more consolidated and mom and pa are kind of getting pushed out. And that's and in some respects, that's sad, but in some respects, it's good because it's going to allow for new capital, new professional management, yes. new, new investment. A lot of these mobile home parks are 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, failing infrastructure. We're under contract one right now in Iowa that we're, we're getting bids on replacing Orangeburg sewer. So it's like, okay, this, oh, is, this stuff is- yeah, this stuff is not going to last 25 more years. It may right. not last 25 more minutes. So, you know, we're going to upgrade. Mom and Pa don't have the resources or the desire yep. to do it. So at some point, you know, the residents are going to be stuck with nowhere to live. We bought another park six months ago. It was listed for sale as a development ground. And we upped the rent pretty modest, like 8% or something. And it's, it's, it's like 50% of market. No, no, it's like 75% of market. So we upped it pretty, and again, one of the residents is just mad as can be. And we're, we told him, like, you realize that this was listed as development ground and we're $150 a 
cheaper than the competitor. So if this would have sold somebody that was going to turn it into apartments, where would you go then? And you'd pay $150 more if you could get there. So, uh, you know, we were in some respects, we were, we were his hero. He just hasn't, doesn't see us that way, but uh, at least not yet, but I, I'm with you that uh, the industry is going to just continue to become more professional. And yeah, I mean, I wonder when it's going to fully consolidate and some of these private equity guys I'm seeing are paying just through the roof pricing and they, they have different costs of capital, different, you know, investment metrics and consolidation and, and such, but it's, it's definitely, I don't think that I'm going to be the mom and pa, but I think I'm going to at some point be like, it's irresponsible for me to keep it at the price that it's worth. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy any of our properties at the price that I could sell them for right now. Right. But, but somebody else will, and I'm not selling them right now, but it's just like, that's just where the market's at right now. And yep. uh, we shall see if it, if it stays or if it gets even hotter, but. Tell me about, you mentioned your story, Ryan, about how you, you and Ian got started. Tell me how that worked from your first deal. You said you didn't have money. You didn't have, you didn't have, uh, you know, good net worth or any net worth. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't have experience. So how did you get the first deal? How did you get the second deal? Is it through things like seller finance? Is it a joint venture? Did you syndicate? Um, tell me about, tell me about that deal. Or, or I mean, if not the first one, one of the, some of the first few, how, how you get started with my point being, it, it takes a village to get going on this business um, yes. unless you just happen to be born into experience or money. Our first deal ever, we got off market. It was a pocket listing from a broker we had built a relationship with. So you, no excuses, by the way, I hear this all the time. Oh, brokers don't take me seriously. Uh-uh. We had we had nothing, no experience, no network, <laughs> no money. And our first deal ever was this mysterious pocket listing that everybody talks about, right? We, we did that and we've bought plenty pocket listings off brokers since then. And we had no money. So what do we do? We did a joint venture with a group that could close the deal. And we basically took a cashed out an acquisition fee. So we had some live capital to play with. And then we left a sliver in. So as an LP, so we could see as a fly on the wall how they did their thing, how they operated, because we wanted to learn how to operate. So a mentor of mine said, let people pay you to solve your problems. That's quite literally what happened. We said, we have no money. We have no knowledge of how to actually operate beyond what we're learning online. Let's literally find a deal and joint venture with a company, allow them to pay us while we learn from them. So in other words, we basically, like I said, we ha- we found someone to literally pay us to solve our own problem. Deal number two was a mailer that we bought in Asheville, North Carolina. And that was our first, just Ian and I and our friend behind the scenes who likes to stay really quiet. So Archimedes group is comprised of three of us. And so in other words, we've never actually had to syndicate. We've only done joint ventures or we just keep it the three of us. And then our third was a behemoth. It was a 527 lot mobile home park, mom and pop. They just, they just liked us. 
there's no other way to put it. They just liked us. And they told us they had an LOI for $1.5 million more than what we offered. And they still picked us. Wow. And the crazy thing is we know who made that $12 million offer. And he's a friend of ours, great guy. And he will probably for the rest of our lives remind us that he gave them an LOI and they picked us. And anyways, so those were our first three. And that number three, we also did a joint venture with another big group and they allowed us to be the property managers. And just like uh, the, the first deal we did, acquisition fee, cash some of it out, leave some of it in. So that way we, again, had more capital to play with. And more importantly, we got full time. So then our fourth one was a cold call. Our fifth one was a cold call. And then we just had a ring. Yeah, no, we had a whole string of cold calls that converted. Flash forward, we've now bought 20 mobile home parks. We've sold out at three. We're passive in one. So we actively manage 16. And we've bought a grand total of 18, a little shy of 1,800 pads, all with nothing in under six years. So anybody listening in, you have no excuses. None. Hey, that's great, man. So I'm curious on the joint ventures with the, with the bigger player. It used the same one every time, or did you go to the market and um, you know, it's not a syndication, so to speak, but how'd you get that relationship? Because that's, that'd be a next question for somebody that's getting started is okay. Well, great. But you already know this guy is, is this big player, your, your brother-in-law? No, it's uh, presumably not. How do, how do I get in touch with that big player? How does the next guy find that guy? You know, or, or do you have to find a new one every time? So what we did, so our first one, we we just had a very limited network and we had a good vibe, good rapport with friends of ours that we bought our first one with. But as we were LPs in that deal, we just basically kind of realized their strategy, we just, just didn't really overly jive with us because we're more value add people and they were more looking for more stable stuff. And so we went, let's find a group that is more like cool with projects because that's what we really want because in other words if you have no money like i say on my podcast mobile home parks in real life i have a whole episode where i talk about how you can basically add rocket fuel to your net worth and the answer is you find multiplication of your capital not preservation so like growing up a middle class person reading all the middle class philosophies on how you build wealth slowly over time with compounding interest, which isn't wrong. It's just, if you want to be a multimillionaire in your twenties and thirties, you don't get that by getting 7% with a low cost index fund. doesn't happen. Now, will you be rich eventually? Yeah, sure. Probably the math definitely checks out. But if you, if you want to literally multiply your, your capital, you have no choice by, but to buy stuff pennies on the dollar. So we realized that that joint venture partners goals didn't really align with ours. So in other words, we find, we found a group that did. And like I mentioned earlier, you find someone to pay you to solve your problems. Well, their problem was that they were at a point where they were just stretched too far. So they wanted to grow, they had the capital and they basically went, We either need to hire basically a regional manager or Ian and Ryan can literally go and move into a colossal asset and basically run it for us. And and these people are some of my best friends in the world to this day. And they they will tell me this for the rest of my life. They're like, that was a complicated project. You brought in RVs, new homes, old homes. You did conversions of of homes. You did evictions. You did it all. And we never heard from you unless you wanted advice. They're like, that, that was one of the most hands-off, easy things to do. And what we got out of that was basically a master's degree in how to operate mobile home parks. 
And what they got out of that is another 500 lots in a huge MSA, a total win for everybody around. And, and again, and now I have capital and now I can go out and do it on my own. No, that's great, man. Yeah. I, I, when I was first getting into some deals, I had several smaller deals of my own, but then my first bigger park was, well, it was about 110 spaces uh, in the Kansas City Metro. They weren't, it was like 20 some occupied, but uh, still had a big price tag and I needed a bunch of CapEx and I was like, okay, I, I need to find a partner. And I didn't have a lot of time to, I didn't have a good network. So I actually tried to do what you did is basically assign it to a big operator and then take a fee, but then put some of the fee in as LP to get under the tent. And they wouldn't let me do it. They're like, we'll give you the fee and they will give you more fee. I don't, I don't want the fee. I want to get under the tent. And they're right. like, yeah, we, we already have investors and we're not going to do that. So anyway, I didn't sell it. I didn't sell it to them. I ended up, I ended up syndicating it and raising the money. Nice. Um, and it's going to work out a lot better for me financially. But it was, it's like, I tried to go the, that team that team route and they still be no thanks. So that noise worked, but uh, that, that's where plan B came in was uh, syndicate and raise the money from other folks and uh, ended up getting it done. But uh, tell me, tell me, give me some more tips and tricks. I know you get, I know you and Ian have a mentor program too, and you do coaching through that. Um, is that something you want to discuss or other, other team building strategies? Um, what comes to mind? You know, I'm happy to talk about my mentorship program. We've been unofficially mentoring people for years. I am a giver. I absolutely love this space. It is what I am meant to do when I grow up, and I thoroughly enjoy helping people absolutely for free. But at, we we calculate, we counted it up because we were tracking. We had unofficially mentored over 200 people oh, wow. in the span of like two or three years. And what we realized was like 95% of them never ended up buying anything and, and left eventually left the space. And we we're like, we, I remember one guy really just broke my heart because I talked to him every day for at least an hour or every week for at least an hour. He was my ride to Atlanta, Georgia from Charlotte, North Carolina and back. And he was like, Oh, I don't owe you anything. I'm like, no, I just, you're helping me kill time, dude. This is great. Never ended up buying anything and is now completely out of space. And it just broke my heart knowing I spent so much time with that individual. And it just made me realize through time that there, that 5% that actually does take action and actually does get somewhere. Having a mentor like me, where I've already been through that, I've bootstrapped a company to almost 2000 lots with nothing. Like I would be a wonderful person to just sit down, pop open the hood of what you got going on and let's figure it out. And so that's our mentorship program is we interview, we do got an interview process and we only take on a handful of folks because quite frankly, uh, owning and operating mobile home parks is, is quite a lot more lucrative. And I'm, I'm not a teacher. I want to be a real estate investor. This is what I do an operator. Like this is what I do. So we have the mentorship thing on the side. You're welcome to anyone listening in that's that wants more information. It's mobilehomeparkmentors.com. Um, definitely apply. I mean, if, if this is what you're meant to do and you're ready to go all in, that's it. But um, you know, beyond that, I, I, for, I just, I mean, I mean this, I absolutely love helping others, period. My residents, people looking to get in the space, people already in the space. Like I don't like my reward is literally helping you makes me happy. And what makes me even happier is when you go and take my advice and it works. <laughs> That's like the biggest compliment ever. I'm so proud of one of my mentees, Victor. He literally on Tuesday of this week, he has a, a deal he was negotiating. He was like, I was, I offered him 1.25 and then the brother got involved and now they want 1.5. 
what should I do? And so we underwrote it together. And I was like, you could do 1.5. It's like a single, maybe a walk. It's not a great deal. 2.5 is like a solid double or a triple to use baseball references. Cause I, so you got the baseball thing in, in the back <laughs> there. I'm a baseball fan too. And he, and what I, I'm, I got to brag on him because he was like, Ryan, what do I do here? And I was like, if, if you don't have a child, you will, this may not make sense to you, but you have to set up boundaries because your child as a father, I know this, I love my son, but boy, he's going to poke and prod and, and pick until I say, no, stop. Otherwise he doesn't know where the boundaries are and adults behave pretty similarly. And I, I told him, I was like, if you just say yes to that, they're going to go, oh man, we should ask for 2 million, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to set up that boundary in negotiations. And so I was like, and also you're going to look like a doofus. If you offer, if you offered 1.25 and they just go, oh, okay, I'll do 1.5. Guess what happens? Then they go, all right, were you ripping me off at 125? No, here's the negotiation tip. You, okay, we'll go up. I'll make you a counter offer. I'll counter your counter, but I'm getting something for that. I told him, I was like, Victor, you go get something for this. Right. And he was like, the next day he said, I have a contract signed for 1.4. And I went, and how'd you do it? And he said, I did exactly what you said. I said, I'm getting something for this. I'll pay up. I am paying up. I felt like one, two, five was a fair deal, but I'm buying something for an extra $150,000. And that's your ink on this contract right now. And they said, yes. And I was like, that's the best. That's the best feeling for me. <laughs> uh, like knowing you listened and then you did it and then it worked. Oh my gosh. It's the, I love helping people. That's great, man. Yeah. I, I like doing it too. And I, uh, people call me all the time for advice to uh, the, the, what I tell people is you don't have to take my advice, but I charge the same either way. I don't care if you take it. I do care if you take it, but it, it's just amazing. People are like, ah, whatever, I'll do my own thing. And then they'll, then they'll call me later and be like, yeah, I didn't do what you said, but there was a good reason. At least I thought, well, it didn't, I should have done what you said. How do I fix it? And it's like, okay, and now it's going to cost more, you know, and, and sometimes you can't fix it. It's like, well, yeah. You should have, should have taken the last advice, but um, I had a client not do a phase one environmental despite me telling him like, oh, I'll just, I'll just worry about it on my next deal. It's just like, what? What if this deal has cancer? You're going to be saved two grand? Yeah, yeah. And he had the money. He's just like, well, I want to close faster. I want to close next week. And it's gonna, the guy says it's going to take three weeks or something. I'm like, good grief, man. Take, take the advice. But um, anyway, no, being a mentor, being part of a team is fun. I used to, I don't, I don't, I haven't counted all the people I mentored, but, um, one thing is you talk about boundaries I had to put in place. I, I like to say right here, guard your time. Cause if you don't guard your time, people will steal it. You know, and I, I, yeah. I'll walk to parks and tenant will be like, Oh my gosh. And they'll think I'm the manager from headquarters. Like, oh, this is the big manager. Let me, they want to tell me everything under the sun. Like, look, I don't mind talking to you, but I can't, I can't stand here for an hour and you can. Yeah. And with mentees, I used to have that problem where people say, okay, I used to do single family housing and people would say, a friend, hey, let me buy you a cup of coffee. I'm going to go pick your brain for two hours. And then they'd never buy a house. They never make an offer. I was like, I don't mind giving you, I don't mind investing in you, but I, don't, I, I do mind wasting it in you. So some sort of threshold. So I started to um, say, I'd give them a couple of books to read and say, go read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, go read Never Eat Alone, go read some of these other books on business and finance and real estate. And I said, if you're, if you're serious, if you can read, I read 25 books this year. I said, if you can, um, read three and, and write me a two page synopsis of each. I'll give you two hours of my time. And you know what? Only one, only one guy did it. Yeah. That's awesome. One guy. And he was the guy that he became an investment partner of me. Um, but awesome. the other guys, they just, they just didn't, and he still is, you know, they, they just didn't do it. 
so it was kind of like a litmus test of uh, effort, if you will. I think that's key to a team, right? Is, you know, I say rowing together or you're yoked together. It's like, I don't want to be running at a different pace than everybody else. You need to keep up or you need to, you know, go elsewhere. And um, I think it's the same whether it's a mentor program or, you know, investors or joint ventures is everybody doing their part and everybody hustling and rowing together. It's like a poker game. If you're playing Texas Hold'em no limit poker with no buy-in, you just treat it differently than even if you bet a dollar. And if you bet 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, you better believe there's your phone is going to go in your pocket and on silent, not on vibrate. (laughs) You are laser focused. So yeah, you have to give them some type of buy-in. It's a great way to kind of just screen out tire kickers. Like, I hate to say it, but I was a tire kicker. I heard I looked at over a hundred businesses to start in that three year period from oh, wow. 2013, 2012 to 2015, 2011 to 2015. That plus or minus three year period, I looked at over a hundred businesses. I was a tire kicker. And this is, I say this, and it falls on deaf ears, and I expect it to. You need to know who you are because you will quit if you're just chasing after a buck or you're chasing after the features and the benefits and not the underlying asset because if you're just chasing passive income. Let me tell you something. Tim Ferriss has a great book called The 4-Hour Workweek where he can tell you all about automated systems and internet companies and you can have your passive income and probably arguably make much better returns because if you're starting a, an online company for a couple hundred bucks, you you could multiply that like it's nothing. So in other words, if you know, my big thing for it is I really thoroughly enjoy helping others. I really thoroughly think from the bottom of my heart that we have a crisis, an affordable housing crisis in this country. And I have had some horrible days, horrible days, days where I want to just, everything is horrible, just is awful. And the reason why I get up and I'm excited to work every single day is because I know I am fighting to keep people safe and clean. I'm going to preserve their in other words, I'm not going to let it get redeveloped and I'm going to enhance it. We're going to do things like partner with Zigo so they can build their credit. We have a partial college scholarship. So if anybody wants to go get a higher education and better themselves, I will help you pay for that. We do free food giveaways. We show our faces. I was on site at four of my properties yesterday, walking around, talking to residents. I still do that to this day. Like I'm going to give them the best experience that I can, again, while the highest and best use of this property is me owning it. And I think it's a little bit of blasphemy to say I'm not a long-term holder of most assets. I mean, it's true. Eventually, eventually I will be a mom and pop. Eventually, capital is going to need to come in. Eventually, I'm not going to have depreciation to shield income anymore. Eventually, septics are going to fail. Homes are going to need to be replaced. And that's just going to cost a lot, a lot of money. And my capital will need to be recycled. So lots, lots of stuff to pick apart there. But yeah. No, lots of, lots of good nuggets there. I mean, I, to your point on, you know, don't be a, don't be a tire kicker reminds me of a quote um, you know, the old quote, knowledge is power. Uh, and that's wrong. Uh, knowledge is potential power. Execution kicks knowledge's butt every day of the week. And there's a, I know a lot of people out there who are exceptionally bright and have tons of knowledge and they're just going nowhere fast and loving the ride because they, they don't take the action. And, uh, you know, decisiveness is a, is a key trait of an entrepreneur, of a leader, and, yes. I, and, and, and just as if a successful person, um, unless you're in academia um, or some sort of uh, 
you know, union where there's just kind of flatness across the agency. It's like, if you want to go somewhere, you, you got to, you know, get smart, right? Gain, gain the knowledge, gain wisdom, but take, take action or it's, or it's kind of worthless in my mind. I, I think you'll appreciate this. So the reason why I have two degrees in statistics that I don't use anymore <laughs> is because I fell in love with statistics because of this reason. There's this thing called p-hacking in research where basically if you don't have a 90 or 95% confidence in what your findings are, that is, is actually the truth, it is thrown out. And so basically people will exploit statistics to try to get research published because they'll be so close. They'll be like 89% sure and nobody's going to take you seriously. And I remember I was a psych major undergrad. And at first I thought I was going to get my PhD and be a college professor like my dad. I just, I love public speaking. I love teaching people. I love helping others. I figured I could dedicate myself to a cause and I realized I hated research. I hated it. And I hated it because I could find something where I'm 89% sure that I, I, that it's, that this is the right answer. 89% and no peer reviewed journal would ever take me seriously. And what I realized was as a poker player, if you can win 51% of the time, law of large numbers says you will make money in the long run. So in other words, I, I just, I doubled down on statistics because I just fell in love with it. And I said goodbye to research because I went, this is stupid. I'm going to go out and find a way where I can basically find something that works consistently, not all the time, but works consistently, has some risk, but also has some reward that other people aren't going to charge at for various reasons. And I'm going to go and kick butt and take names and do that. And everybody's a tire kicker. Everybody's a tire kicker. I, I was a tire kicker for around about a hundred different companies until I found mobile home parks. It is okay to come to the conclusion that mobile home parks are not for you. That's okay. That is an okay outcome. If it's a multiple choice test and you eliminate answer C, you go from a 20% chance to randomly guess the answer to a 25% chance to randomly guess the answer. And if there's an E all of the above, you're now at a 33% chance to randomly guess. So in other words, eliminating things that you're not truly passionate about is a good answer. That is a good outcome. And you just, you know, I'm like you, man, I, I used to read 50 books a year and I stopped that after reading I don't know, X number of books, X number of hundreds of books. And I just, cause books started to sound the same to me. And now I'm slowly starting to get back into it. Cause I realized I was getting bad recommendations for books. And <laughs> like, I just finished the alchemist, which I got from a friend of mine and I loved it. I am like, I just dropped everything just to finish that book. That was amazing. I'm, I'm reading a Malcolm Gladwell book now. I love Malcolm. So like every, you got to read, you got to read, you got to do that. But right. I think when it came down to it, I just, I went, you know what? I'm not looking for perfect. I'm not looking even for 95% confidence. I'm not even looking for 90% confidence. If I can consistently find 51% confidence in something, I've got an idea and I can run with it. I just need to make sure I love it. No, man, I don't, I don't disagree. Great stuff. I mean, so what's general patents is something along the lines of don't let the perfect plan tomorrow ruin a good plan today that can be executed violently. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, if you, Paralysis by analysis is not the way to do it in this business, at least. So, no, that's good, man. I appreciate it. Um, before we go, any other tips or tricks you want to share? Anything else uh, to contribute? You if know, not, where, if not, where can people find you? I know you mentioned your your website, but any, yeah. any other way you want to promote your your address or phone number or anything? Listen, I I'm a Tupac fan, and so I'll quote quote Tupac: "I ain't hard to find." 
My name is Ryan Neris. It's a Lithuanian last name. From what I can find, it is I'm the only Ryan Neris in the world. If you you Google you Google Ryan Neris N A R U S, my LinkedIn pops up, uh, my websites pop up. I, I've been on over seventy podcasts. I, like I'm tattooed over the internet like crazy. I am not a hard person to find, and I want you to find me. That is by design. I do. I really truly love networking and helping others. I don't need anything from you unless you want to spend an hour plus a week with me. Then I have a mentorship program. But I utterly love. I'm passionate about helping others, and that's I. Ferd, I want to die. I want to be on my deathbed thinking back on my life and I'm, I'm not going to be thinking about how much money I made or all these accolades I won. I'm going to be thinking back on my life going, I came into this, the world was like this and I left it a little bit cleaner and a little bit better because I was in it. And that's my life goal. So come find me. I, my podcast is mobile home parks in real life, Archimedes group, YouTube. It, I got a ton of videos of me walking around my parks, walk, just talking about stuff uh, my LinkedIn, Ian's LinkedIn is chock full of just nuggets. And uh, I would say if, if I'm going to leave folks with any tips, I would say that beyond just my podcast where I'll, I spend like a half hour plus going into how to convert mobile homes, how to infill homes, how to do collections, how to boost your net worth, like beyond, you know, tenant owned homes versus park owned homes. Beyond all of that, I would say I could boil down to two things that prevent real action takers. I'm not talking about tire kickers. I'm talking about real action takers from getting started or plateauing. And that's number one, your strategy is wrong. And a lot of times strategy is wrong because you don't really know yourself or what you're after, where your comfort zone is today, where it could be tomorrow and where it's never going. And number two, beyond strategy is underwriting. And trust me, I know a lot of fabulously talented underwriters that have that do that lack vision. And if you lack vision, Excel is only going to tell you what you put in it. Microsoft Excel, someone said Microsoft, there more lies have been written in Microsoft or more fiction has been written in Microsoft Excel than Microsoft Word. Right. And it's because you you don't realize garbage in, garbage out. That being said, knowing how to do the math is very important because if your machine doesn't work, right? So in other words, the math, while it's important to me, what I see is a lack of strategy and a lack of vision and underwriting. What you can do where your skills and passions lie to get you to that next level. So if this is it and this is all you're ever going to hear in my voice, just take those two things away. Make sure you have a rock solid strategy. So like Ferd just said there, um, you can make, you can be decisive and quick. Uh, and then make you know, and then make sure you're pairing vision with proper underwriting. You don't need to spend four days underwriting something. You can do it in five minutes or less on my website, um, or at least you can email me. I have a thing called the five minute evaluator, which is literally just like put in the lot rent, put in this, put in that. Boom! It's going to tell you should I spend four days going through a, a complicated model to pitch to banks and investors? Yes or no. So in other words, if you can make decisions like that in five minutes or less, you, this is a, there, this is a seller's market right now. The brevity wins deals, getting things inked and inked quickly and inked, not verbal agreements. I'm talking <laughs> wet ink on a contract. So you're in due diligence that is how you win deals. Because I got to tell you, I've most most of the deals that I've bought in the last six months have been bidding wars. And again, it's not because I'm a better at the math underwriting. I'm better at the vision. And it's not that I'm like sitting on a billion dollars 
it, it's that I have a very crisp, unique strategy so I can move quickly. So that and plenty more, if you reach out to me, I'm, I'm happy to help anyone listening in. All right. I appreciate it, man. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You got it. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.